0: Hello, and welcome to Making the Museum. I'm Jonathan Alger, and this is a project of CNG Partners Designed for Culture. Today, I am joined by Paul Orselli to talk about prototyping with Elvis. And we will let you wonder what that means for just a little bit longer. Paul, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks a lot.
0: So for those who don't know you, could you tell our listeners who you are and what you do?
1: Sure. So... Um... Well, after working for about 20 years or so uh, in the museum business, working uh, sort of oscillating between the children's museum world and the science center world, I started my own um, business called POW, Paul Orselli Workshop. Um, And I've been doing that now for about 20 years. So uh, of the about 40 years or more that I've been in the museum business, about half of that was working in museums. And then uh, the most recent half has been running my own business. And so instead of working for just one museum, I get to work for many museums all around the world with POW, which is awesome.
0: And let's see, you said you've been in the business for 40 years. That means you uh, started when you were one year old. When, Is that I, correct? when I
1: was in kindergarten. Yeah, no, right. I, actually, it's I... It's very
0: uh, precocious.
1: I, I got my very first museum job less than two weeks after I graduated. I, I, went, I did my undergraduate work at the University of Michigan. Mm-hmm. And uh, I grew up in Detroit. And uh, there was an ad to be... A living history interpreter to be a Civil War soldier at a fort, a real fort, in Detroit on the banks of the Detroit River. And so that was my first, that was my very first museum job. There are there are pictures of me in a Civil War uniform with a mustache holding a musket and uh...
0: And was it did you was it your mustache or was it provided by your <laughs> I, employer?
1: That, was, <laughs> that, that what happened to be my mustache at the time, yeah.
0: So, which uniform were you wearing for this uh, engagement?
1: So, uh, since that fort in Detroit, Fort Wayne, was actually used as a training site during the Civil War for Union soldiers, um, we we wore Union uh, garb, and every day when I went to work, it was 1864. It was living history, so we interpreted. Everything that we did in the fort, as if it was 1864, which was awesome, and it was uh, that was actually an awesome first museum job because my undergraduate degree was in science, and this was a history museum, and I wanted to work in exhibits, and this was a, a very much of a public facing education position, so uh, it actually um, immediately expanded my horizons as to the possibilities for working in the museum world.
0: Great. That's a, that's a, that's a great, what I love about that question, the question, uh, how did you get into this business is that I just never hear the same answer twice.
1: Although I, I do have to say, I, 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 feel a little unusual in that bang right out of college. I knew I wanted to work in museums and I started working in museums. One of my kids, asked me once, Oh, you know, do people, um, as soon as they graduate college, like, find their the job they want to work in like for the rest of their lives and i'm like no of course not most people don't do that but uh except for you i i I am one of those (laughs) people who did that
0: that is terrific okay so uh what what inspired you to come up with uh the topic for today prototyping with elvis should we reveal the secret of elvis there's there's no musical performers involved here
1: Oh well, I could I could give you a, a few bars uh, of Elvis, but I'll spare you. Is that, that. going to happen?
0: Is that happening here? <laughs> Are fine. we
1: doing this? We could I, we could say thank you very much. So I am a big advocate in my professional practice, both when I worked in museums and now as a consultant, to really advocate for prototyping and that it is it gives you a massive we were talking earlier about return on investment that prototyping gives you a massive return on investment for no no matter what scale of museum type of museum type of project and there is often as i'm sure you've encountered resistance you know people tell you i don't have time we don't have the personnel we don't have the budget so i i really want to get people into the mode of thinking about how they can bring prototyping to their projects. Mm-hmm. And so I needed something sticky, you know, besides just my passion for prototyping. And so I landed on this monomic that first came out of a presentation actually at the Aztec conference a number of years ago. And I thought, well, this is great. This'll, this will help people like get them interested and, and to say, oh, okay. you know, instead of some academic treatise about prototyping to be like, what in the world does Elvis have to do with prototyping? So that's what we're going to find out today.
0: Great. Well, as always, I know the list, but not much more. And I'm very curious to hear about it. So Elvis uh, does not refer to the singer, although that's part of the fun of it. It is actually a memory aid for developing prototypes. And it is, I think it's what you would call an acrostic. Each, each letter stands for something. So uh, the first item, I'm curious about every item on the list, but the first item is E, the E in Elvis stands for everyday materials. See right. more about that.
1: So, um, you know, uh, again, there is often this resistance. People are like, well, we don't have, we don't have the money to do prototyping. And, uh, I talk about how you can use really simple materials, like literally at the beginning, arts and crafts material, paper and tape to mock up even full scale, you know, well, I'm going to put, uh. A video monitor on the wall, well, where on the wall? How high on the wall? You know, if you cut out a piece of cardboard or a piece of paper the exact same size as your monitor, you can stick it on the wall and feel like, okay, is somebody in a wheelchair going to use this? If there are multiple people gathered around, is there enough room for them to pass around? And so everyday materials is a way to just jump into the process and start thinking with your hands. And to try out those different things, the the other thing is is that if you're using everyday materials, you don't get too over invested in your ideas. You know, if you order this beautiful piece of military grade titanium that took you several <laughs> weeks to get and it cost thousands of dollars, right right? You're, you know you're, you 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 are automatically invested literally. And you are attached to the ideas that are attached to this very precious piece of kit or gear. And if your idea is lousy, you know, you're going to keep like, I just need a bigger hammer if I, if I, if I, if I just, you know, and, but if you're using paper and tape to start out with, to just spitball ideas, literally, you can be like, okay, that idea is not so good. Let's switch to a different idea. So everyday materials uh, is a way to jump start your process, but also not to be too precious about your process, especially at the beginning
0: right the the, the everyday materials make you force you to not fall in love with it. Uh, and not right. not fall prey to the sunk cost fallacy, right? Yeah,
1: you know. So um, we've got this new five D monitor that you know it's it's got this holographic projection attached to it.
0: Ah, holog. I was waiting every every episode of Making the Museum. The word hologram comes up at some point. We have to do an episode right. about holograms. Um, how does that translate into uh, the actual the actual component itself? Uh, once you're done prototyping, is is everyday material still the mantra? Even for the actual thing, or or do you eventually say, okay, go go for titanium eventually, or yeah, yeah. You know, I advantage to the, the everyday I mean, later? I
1: think I think if you start out with cardboard and you uh, uh, try it out in different ways and that, then you have created a scaffold or a stage to more effectively use something like holograms or titanium or or what have you. Um, And you're going to deploy it in a more thoughtful way instead of just throwing sort of money or like, oh, well, you know, everybody's doing augmented reality or virtual reality. We need to do that, too. It's Mm -hmm. like, maybe you don't. Let's let's actually kick kick the tires on this idea and see what might be the most effective ways to to implement your interactive ideas or your immersive ideas. And
0: And would you I know you work a lot in the world of uh, science museums and children's museums where a lot of the exhibition components are going to be hands-on, things that you uh, you operate with your with your body or you touch with your hands or you pedal or you you jump up and down on. Um, is prototyping this way using everyday materials something that you try to do with everything? Or oh, is yeah. it usually like I mean, only a percentage of things? Or is it, you got to prototype oh, no. everything. E-
1: everything, because now the good news is it used to be that um, hands-on exhibits primarily lived in places like children's museums and science centers. But you, you know, I'm sure from your own work that hands-on exhibits and immersive environments have really spread out you know, it's very common to go to a history museum or a zoo or a botanical garden or an aquarium or even an art museum where they are trying to engage people in interactive ways and immersive ways. So um, I think in in some ways it's even now more effective because people expect hands-on exhibits in a children's museum or a science museum, of course, but they might not. Uh, As often expect a hands-on interactive in a botanical garden or an art art museum.
0: And it's one of the reasons for using everyday materials is that, uh, how do I say it, in the process of prototyping, you set out to destroy it. You want to do something where... (laughs) Well, you know, like your, your example of, you know, let's, let's make a cardboard monitor and put it on the wall and we'll, we'll rip it off. We'll put it here and we'll rip it up. Maybe it's the wrong size. Let's just cut, right. it, cut it down and, or, or tape something. on. And by the end, the, the prototype is sort of pretty messed up. Uh, and if it had been titanium, you probably <laughs> wouldn't be able to mess it up, but you wouldn't have the right tools. But um, is that the idea that you're, you're, you're setting out to actually mess it up?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, the monitor example is actually a really good example because you think, oh, well, that's technology. It's not really, doesn't lend itself to paper and tape, but actually it does because the position of the monitor is super important. Uh, I went to an exhibition at the Museum of Modern Art where they had a hallway that had sets of monitors embedded in the wall, and they were almost all at the wrong, at like uncomfortable heights, and they they really blocked off the traffic flow. And I just couldn't help thinking, you know, if if like literally they had stuck pieces of cardboard to the wall and had staff people stand around, they could have avoided all that. But instead, you know, they they designed something, they cut holes in the wall, they installed the monitors, and then they were stuck. Like, even if it didn't work, they had too, too too late, we're not going to patch up the wall and take out all the monitors and the wires and do it. So um, I think that, you know, using everyday materials, even when you're talking about tech, uh, can be really handy.
0: So, so it's a way to mitigate risk. It's a way to improve the outcome. It's a way to uh, avoid disasters like you just described. Everything is at the wrong height, but it's already built into the wall, so you can't move it. And by using everyday materials, it's it's inexpensive. So it's it's like a back to that the discussion we had before the show. The what's the ROI, the return on investment of a a, a piece of cardboard that's used in order to make something actually work is fantastically high because a cardboard costs almost nothing, and a working experience is very valuable.
1: Right, and it's it's a massive time saver. You know, <laughs> you 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 don't you don't have to argue. In a in a two hour meeting about where these monitors should go, you're like, look, these monitors are going to be twenty four inch monitors. Let's just take some pieces of paper and go out into the gallery and put them where we think they should go, and then look, does it work or not? And so same, you're you're you're, you're, you're arguing
0: you're, you're arguing that prototyping actually saves time.
1: I uh, started out by saying
0: that there's a there's an objection to prototyping. The objection is that prototyping will take longer, but your take is well, it, not if you replace all the meetings where people are talking about something no one knows about with prototyping, then it's actually shorter.
1: You you're you you inevitably save time and money. I mean, if you have to fix things or you can't fix things after the fact, I mean. What's what's the what's the value of that? I mean right. the time the short period of time that you spent by sticking up some things with cardboard and tape or foam core, or what whatever you know, materials you want to use, save you time and money in the long run. If you don't have if you don't have the time and the resources to prototype, I guarantee you you are not going to have the time and resources to remediate the problems that, that you missed. Right you're not
0: right. so so prototypes everyone thinks that prototypes prototypes cost more and take longer but you're here to say that prototypes cost less and take less time
1: well they save they in the end they save you time and money they, they really that, do just like a good consultant saves you time and money right my argument too but the, right that, right exactly right
0: Exactly. It's a, it's a pay for yourself ROI. Okay. This is great. Okay. So we're making our way through Elvis. So that was E everyday materials. That's terrific. So next up obviously is L by the way, Elvis as an, as a mnemonic is now totally stuck in my head. The next time someone says prototyping, I'm just going to blurt out That's Elvis.
1: Right. That's the beauty of it. Right? Also, it worked. It's, it's already working. It's funny. My, my wife was like, ah, Elvis is so old school. Like people don't know who Elvis, but you know, there was just a, super popular tv show about elvis so El- elvis uh still has a value as a pop culture icon and a touchstone for monomics uh, oh
0: in, that's right absolutely yeah you whether you listen to music or not okay so l is looseness right l for looseness say more about that
1: yeah so i think um it's funny, uh, I, I've done some work in Bulgaria in the past and I like was introducing the idea of prototyping to uh, a group of museum professionals there. And it was funny, like one of them emailed me back after I got home and she said, you know, it, w- we've uh, realized that the point of prototyping is not to do it just once, you know, <laughs> like you, you don't come in with these preconceived notions of like, oh, okay. I'm going to put this thing together and I'm just going to prove exactly everything I want to prove and it's going to work exactly like this. That's sort of the antithesis of prototyping. You, of course, have ideas of what you might expect visitors to do, or you have content points or takeaways that you want people to engage with. But you sort of have to let the process roll, you know, to see what people are actually going to do and i think people who are familiar especially with interactive exhibits or environments you know so often you hear people say wow i never expected they would do this and so again you know you want to try out these things early to uh get as many of those mysteries out on the table like wow eh, we understood this when we developed this concept but it's clear that nobody that we showed this to understands this so what do we need to change and how can we shift this idea around as opposed to you know this is the idea people are going to understand it and if they don't understand it we're going to just beat them with a bigger stick till they do they do understand it you know <laughs> That's just not, that's just oh. not how it works in a free choice environment. If they don't understand it, they walk away from it or right. they are frustrated by it and they bust your exhibit or they think it's not working and they walk away from it for that reason. So um, it, it's really important to keep uh, a bit of a framework, of course, like you have an idea we're doing an exhibit about mm-hmm. elephants. We want people to take these some of these ideas away with them, but then you have to see like how it works in real life. Like again, we're out of the meeting room. Right. We're out of the high design concept. What are our how are i how are our ideas going to play out?
0: And you said at the beginning of uh, item L here, you said uh, that the idea of a prototype is not to simply sort of prove that your idea is right. And once you prove it in one shot, you're done, check the box, now go build it. But in fact, that you, you need to do it multiple times. So I'm sure our listeners are wondering, wait a minute, how many times is this going to be? (laughs) Uh, so have you got a, you got some brackets around that? It's like, you know, get ready for at least X number of times, but I've seen it go to as many as Y number of times and what's the right amount and how do you mitigate that?
1: I think, um, I was talking with someone about exhibits the other day, and of course, we never have, and maybe we never want infinite schedules and infinite budgets, you know, that that's you could iterate forever, you know, if you did that, but I think you get to a point of what I would characterize as practically perfect you know if you're if you're right if you're an an intense designer like you know you you, you've been in this business you like i want this to be perfect but there are always limitations so you know you get to a point where it is good enough it is practically for practical purposes perfect so that's Mm -hmm. the place that you stop and it may be more prosaic than that i mean you run out of time literally you run out of money literally and that's the place you have to stop the the thing is though if you are a good in my opinion exhibit developer you sort of leave a little bit of a trap door open for the people who come after you so there is still enough flexibility in your design both physically and intellectually that there is room for exhibit or the concept to evolve and sort of shift, continue to shift Hmm. over time. I see. So
0: like uh, these days, nobody can maintain, it's it's difficult anyway, to maintain your own car. If you purchase a new car right now, I'm not saying you should purchase a new car, but if you purchase a new car, it's so uh, computational. Most people don't have the required instruments in their garage and gone are the days of being able to put your own, I don't know, Mustang up on blocks and Get in there and teach uh, your kid how to funny, do it, and all that's that. That's funny right? you
1: say that because I I have a new car and it is an electric Mustang, so I am I am even less able to uh, maintain it or fiddle around right. with it. And I want I I can I can uh, click the button on the big screen in the middle of the the dashboard that tells me there's a software update, but that's about it.
0: There's a software update for your car. That's right. But the the idea of the of the, the the looseness of the prototyping carrying into the actual manufacturing, the actual building of the thing, is uh, the reason I was bringing up that idea of you know g- get me a socket wrench and I'll I'll fix my own old yeah, sure. Jeep. Uh, the idea there is that the uh, that the exhibit, in a sense, are you really saying that the exhibit once it's actually live is almost still a prototype? Well, it, it, it can that, that still goes, be tinkered with. <laughs>
1: That goes back to this philosophical notion of is an exhibit ever finished, and that, you know that that you can ask people that question and see what they say. But I think it also relates to this notion that comes out of the maker movement, where if you buy something, you should be able to take it apart or tinker with it if you want to. Right. And so I think that making an exhibit especially an interactive exhibit that at least um in the main a lot of its parts are understandable to the people who have to maintain it and, Right.
0: understandable uh, just by looking at it almost
1: exactly i mean and that's that's uh, i think uh, a a completely different discussion like how intuitive is your design for the end user but also the end maintainer, you know, if it's like literally a black box, nobody has any incentive to tinker around with it or fuss around with it. And there are, you know, there are designers who are like, good, I don't want them to mess around with it. I am not one of those designers. So right. well, right. if
0: I think back to, you know, classic exploratorium cookbook, you know, yeah. old school exploratorium where everything was I don't know who was building it, but they had, you know, a lot of heart and not necessarily much finesse. And that was what was great about it. So things that would be bolted in a plywood and you'd see the bolts and you'd see the plywood and you'd see the crank and there'd be some oil on the floor and kids would just be loving it. And yeah, now that I think about it, it's when you look at it, even I would look at it and say like, oh, if I had to repair this and you gave me the tools, I probably could tighten this bolt.
1: Or if you wanted to go home and make one, like maybe you could, you know? And so I think there is a a, a lot of value to that sort of um, approach and aesthetic. But, I, you know, the, the thing is I acknowledge and I often, uh, like I teach graduate students about exhibit design. And I will often tell people that there's never just one right answer about an exhibit right mm-hmm. we want to do an exhibit about elephants or we want to do an exhibit about the dnh canal all right so if i'm working on it i'm i'm gonna come at it from different ways and if uh, you're working on it you come at it from other ways that doesn't mean one is better than the other it's just different you know
0: so i have to back up for a minute where do you teach which institution has you on the so on the faculty.
1: um I uh I have taught in the past uh I taught for a number of years at Bank Street in their graduate program right
0: Bank Street uh-huh.
1: so I uh am now a, a continuing guest lecturer about prototyping uh for fit's uh graduate program in uh, exhibition and experience design so Got it. and I've done guest lectures um at university of the arts in philadelphia and other places uh, outside of the u.s too but i like i like teaching a lot
0: actually God, well much appreciated you're really making the rounds okay so number the third thing el we're making our way through elvis number uh, number three is v <laughs> let's see if i'm pronouncing this right vermicious
1: Oh, excellent. That vermicious. Correct? That okay, is. Okay, vermicious. Correct. You
0: have to define what that even means I first. Know. That's although now a, it's stuck in my head. And then like, uh, like what's the, a yeah, where where are we going with vermicious?
1: That's a crazy word. Although if there are any um uh, children's literature fans or roll doll's fans the uh, in the uh, follow up book to uh, charlie and the chocolate factory called the great glass elevator roll doll evokes the vermicious canids but uh, that's not why i used it i i like the word vermicious uh, it comes from the latin vermis which means worms and so vermicious means like wormy and so i'll create a I'll create a visual picture for your listeners. You know, imagine a great big writhing ball of earthworms. That's, that's actually what I like to think about ideas. You know, I am, I am really resistant to uh, drawing hard boundaries or boxes around concepts like, well, this has to be something about art, or this has to be something about history, or this has to be something about science. I really like when those ideas sort of worm around and sort of get into each other's business. So that's why I use the word vermicious. And also, there is sort of a limited repertoire of V words that lends this up to this monomic. And so I thought, vermicious, vermicious is it.
0: Great. Well, for those um, for our listeners, uh, the way we record this, Paul and I can see each other. Uh, we only keep the audio later. But as he's doing this, you have to imagine that he's wiggling his fingers <laughs> and making a ball with both That's of his hands, as if it's a, a it's very vermicious. And I I think I'm now I'm definitely not going to forget that definition. All right. A little quick station identification. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Making the Museum. I'm Jonathan Alger, and this is a project of CNG Partners Designed for Culture. Today, I'm talking with Paul Orselli. So I think our next point in Elvis, E-L-V for vermicious, is I. I is iteration. Uh, that's a great word, iteration. Uh, Tell me more about what that means in your maybe, universe.
1: Maybe that's the the most important letter, one of the most important letters in, in Elvis related to prototyping, which is this notion of try, try again, you know, to, to do things more than once, like we mentioned earlier. And I think, you know, iteration is a great design tool overall. I think, you know, you, you try something, you get a response from a visitor, from your creative team, from your client, And then you make some adjustments and you sort of go back around the circle again. And so I think that is really an essential element of prototyping, that you try out an idea, you try it out with, could be any of those people, you know, your client, your creative team, your potential visitors, and you see how they react to it. And then you sort of mull that over, you know, like, oh they didn't, <laughs> they didn't actually hit the big red button that we wanted them to hit, or they didn't pull this handle or pull the elephant's trunk. What can we do to change that? Or what did we learn from what they did do? And how can we adjust uh, our expectations about how visitors are going to interact with this experience? So iteration is super important. If If, if, people didn't remember anything else about prototyping i think iteration would be the main point that i'd like them to remember to really try try again to rinse and repeat to view what happens to think about it and then to make some intelligent changes that relate to what you saw or heard or watched people do
0: i've been um i've been reading about pixar's creative process and i was stunned to hear some of the numbers behind it. I think a lot of people know that when Pixar makes one of their hit movies, it's years in the making. They, they spend years before they ever start animating or anything else, just sort of dreaming it up and talking and, uh, and pitching the idea to one another. And they have a process where they get a director together and they, uh, they actually start storyboarding the scenes. They write quite a script and they actually start drawing out the scenes and they get members of the staff to voice the different voices. And they actually put together a quick, it's not really an animation, but it's just a series of scenes and then people are talking and everything. And they all get together in a in a, paper in a theater. Tape.
1: Paper and tape animation.
0: It's paper and tape. That's exactly, yeah, that's exactly. It's just like what you're saying, except for a movie. And they do the entire movie and they all sit in a room with some popcorn and they watch the movie and they, they critique the heck out of it. They just they just shred the thing, and they go back and they they learn from that, uh, like you're saying. You know, always always learn from what it is. What did we learn? And then they do it again. And they do it. They do this. They make the entire movie new script, new storyboards, all new drawing, all new voiceover, as many times as eight times yep. before they actually start the actually expensive part and the the much less reversible, the sort of irreversible part. Of putting together a movie and and getting it out there. If somebody critiques the final movie, they're kind of not very easy to change that. So I, I, I think your idea, the idea of iteration, I think, is um, battle tested out there and with some of the best.
1: Well, and it's it's interesting because it is both additive and subtractive potentially. So you know, mm-hmm. just to evoke a, a different arm of Disney, you know, in especially in their theme parks and their movies. They talk about plussing, you know, like we really like this idea, but what's one additional thing we could add on to this to really bring it from just good to great, you know? And so I think that's another way to look at iteration. You know, you are watching what people are doing and you know, you know, if we just tweak this one thing, people would really get this out of it. And that would really elevate the experience or make it feel even more intuitive, or give them a more open ended aspect. So I think um, a lot of times, again, some of the resistance to prototyping, and evaluation also, mm-hmm. is that people feel like, oh, okay, they, we're we're just going to talk about our mistakes. And people don't like to necessarily talk about their mistakes. But, uh, you know, you can look at these things through that plussing lens, or that additive lens, and be like, if we just shifted this thing not throw it out but if we just shifted this thing how could we make it even that much better and I I think there's probably a, a reason why some of those classic movies from Pixar or Disney or or other noteworthy movies you know they they really did put it through the mill and and were like oh we're gonna try this and then bam you know that that Becomes a classic scene that everybody loves, and otherwise, if they hadn't investigated it or iterated through the process, that might not have ever come up. So, so
0: it, it seems like this this idea of well, it, your your mention of, your, your, uh, of the word plussing makes me want to go back and just clarify when you're iterating. Presumably, you're iterating uh, because the first iteration, while you're iterating, the first iteration falls short somehow. And it may fall short in a way you don't even expect. You're you're doing a prototype to figure out, oh, will, to use your example, will uh the, the visitors pull on the elephant's trunk? We want them to pull on the elephant's trunk in order to learn something. Well, they're not doing it. Why is that? Oh, and by the way, they don't even realize it's an elephant's trunk. Or right. this particular artist doesn't even isn't even familiar with the word elephant somehow or something like that. Um, so it's you're you're trying to pick up or as you said, trying to learn both the things you expect to learn and things you don't expect to learn. But it sounds to me like from the idea of plussing that you're not only are you and we'll go back a couple of letters being loose, L for loose about, about the prototyping process, but you're also on the alert to look for things that are good in order to make them even better. In other words, you're not iterating in order to be like, well, we, we prove that it's okay but you're actually also looking for things that are great in order to keep making them great. Could you talk about the balance between how do I say it? Between avoidance of failure and the desire to amplify greatness when you're when you're prototyping? Yeah, uh,
1: you know, it's it's funny, like when I worked when I worked in museums and uh sometimes you know you're you're walking around and you're watching visitors use an exhibit. And it might be an exhibit that you're super familiar with that's been out on the exhibit floor for months or even years. And then something strikes you, you know, like how or why it strikes you. And you're like, oh, you know what? If we change this, I think it would be even better. Like like you're looking, you're like trying to really polish this diamond and there's this one rough spot and you never really saw the way to get at it but now all of a sudden it becomes clear like oh if we just change this and again it that little plusing that little iteration that little refinement makes all the difference between something being like a good exhibit and now it is a great exhibit like it's like legitimately like this is a, an awesome experience and so you know i think um Iteration and playing with time is a way to uh, sort of help you uh, look for those opportunities. And, but it might like, it might not happen. It might not happen to like literally till years later. I I talk with people at the Exploratorium who, you know, they, they have a really honest way of uh, keeping their exhibit developers honest because they have to maintain their own exhibits, so you know you don't want to make you don't you can't just dump your maintenance headaches on other people. They are your potential headaches. So even something that makes an exhibit run more smoothly, so it's less likely to be out of order, is an awesome iteration. You know that's a big win for a visitor. I, I as an exhibit director. I hated seeing out-of-order signs. Like, it made me feel bad myself, you know? And, of course, it makes visitors feel bad. They have a rightful expectation that everything's going to be working <laughs> when they go to the museum and they plunk down their money. But anyway, I think iteration is a way, uh, uh, and the kinds of things you talked about, like with Pixar, like, it takes years, right? We don't often have that luxury of that much time in museums.
0: Yeah, we don't, Yeah.
1: But hey, I don't know. Sometimes, uh, you know, I I saw an RFP right now from a big national museum, and they were working with a ten-year timeline. And I was like, "What? Ten years?" But you know, how could you how could you use that time in a valuable way to continue to iterate and refine and improve the end product?
0: I, I love the attitude that is underlying what you're saying. This idea of having a mindset of always plussing that you're always trying to iterate and whether you're iterating in order to come up with an idea that will reduce downtime in the future for yourself, Uh, It's, it's everything is almost an investment. Every, every time you're doing this, this, this idea of plussing, you're putting more money into it. Like you're like, or more time or more love. And you're investing almost into a fund so that it will be more valuable or easier to use or whatever. And it's a mindset.
1: when when I worked uh, in Ann Arbor, there was a volunteer who was actually a professor emeritus of physics from the University of Michigan, and he would he would help fix the exhibits. and He he had this axiom that you would never fix back things the way they were before. You wanted to fix them back better, so they so so the odds of something breaking down sort of. Approach, but never, you know, asymptotically never, never reach zero breakdowns. But you know, if you just sort of doggedly sort of go back, it's it goes back to this idea of looseness and that, like, oh no, it has to work this way. Well, then, wait a second, maybe it doesn't have to work this way. Maybe the idea is not for them to pull the elephant's trunk at all. It's for them to pull the elephant's tail or whatever else. You know that you have to have that mindset, and I think also that 360 degree mindset one advantage of having worked in museums and being responsible for maintaining exhibits is i'm very loath to saddle my clients now with exhibits that are that are a pain in the neck to maintain or a pain in the neck to deal with you know i that's you know you you sort of multiply that problem geometrically if you have a big science center with hundreds of exhibits, and every one of them needs this sort of constant care and maintenance, that's just, you know, you're going to watch people explode and watch the situation explode. So I think, um, you know, this, anyway, it, it, it's it's interesting how iteration works in a variety of ways. I mean, it, it, I suppose what what I'd say is, it allows you to play with time, which is an awesome opportunity.
0: That is awesome. No, I think you're right. I think iteration is that well, I don't know yet because I haven't heard the fifth one, but that's that's the big one so far. And so speaking of that, last but not least, at the end of Elvis, we have S, and S is for sharing. Yeah. It sounds like that's the that's the meta one. Because I think we're sharing right now to everybody. Exactly. But say, say more. Is that yeah. okay, I got it. Okay. I mean I I I think, say more about that. You no,
1: know, I think one of the one thing that I think has been one of the most gratifying things about working my entire adult working life, you know, over 40 years, 41, 42 years, however many years, is the capacity for people within the museum world and the cultural world to share with each other. You know, like I I feel like that's why I write my blog. That's why if somebody calls me and I can help them, I'm I'm happy to help them because I hope that if one day um, you know, I see one of your exhibits, Jonathan, and I'm like, wait a second, how did you do that? <laughs> I'm I'm thinking of working on an exhibit. You know, the, the thing is, I think there's a reciprocity, like literally, to sharing where you're like, hey. I have some ideas and you have some ideas and if we're willing to share our ideas we have twice as many ideas you know as instead if we hoard those ideas I I mean it's interesting I've come across some people who occasionally are um very miserly with their ideas like they like they have the, like they think they're inventing the hula hoop you know like they're going to get a million dollars out of this idea and they're so restrictive and that. And I, I look at them and I think, huh, like I have good ideas every day. Like I try and have new ideas all the time. I, if, if I sort of held down to one, like it was the magic penny, I don't know. So, um, that's why I included sharing and that's like what we're doing now exactly in a very metal way. I think it's super important. That's, you know, that there is an that any one of us as individuals don't know and can't know everything. And then we can learn a lot from people. I mean, that's, that's, again, something gratifying about teaching, you know, uh, interacting with grad students, new people coming into the field, they have new ideas. Uh, If, if I am not uh, falsely humble, you know, not false humility, if I acknowledge that there truly is never just one right answer to developing an exhibit idea, then I want to surround myself with a network of smart people and cool people. You know, I'm like, I'm looking for creative partners uh, in my enterprises and I want to be a good creative partner. So I think sharing is important in that regard. And I think that's one thing that hopefully sets the museum business and the you know, cultural business, um, apart from other kinds of enterprises.
0: I agree. At that's my,
1: At least that's my idealistic notion still 40, 40 some years in, you know? Yeah, no,
0: I think it's a great uh, notion. And, and I agree. I, I, you know, I think we've all had our moments where we say, Oh, this is my intellectual property, or Oh, what if this is a great idea? And, you know, someday, I'm going to be a retire and be a charter boat captain because this idea is uniquely mine but i'm with you i think uh if you if you think you've got one great idea and you will not be able to make any more ever well that's a little curious how'd you make the first one to begin with and if you're that good you should be able to make them all all day long and that's that's what that's what that's what we all do and i agree with you i agree with you s is also a great not only is it the end of Elvis, but it's a great sentiment to to end on sharing. Okay, so let's, let's do a little recap here. Uh, we have been talking about prototyping with Elvis. Elvis is a mnemonic, a memory aid for developing prototypes. And we have E standing for everyday materials. L stands for looseness. V stands for vermicious, which is wormy. I is iteration, the most important of them all. And S, the best thing to end with is Sharing. How did I do? Did I get that? How did awesome. I do teacher, professor? Awesome. I did good. Okay. That's excellent. And along the way, I learned a bunch of other things. I, I You've got me thinking about plussing, fixing uh, things back better, 360 yeah. degree mindset, the benefits of paper and tape, reciprocity, but I don't know. I think vermiciousness you know, wins the day in, in my head anyway. All right. So um, it seems like we covered it. Paul Orselli, it has been great to have you on this show.
1: Thanks. Thanks, Jonathan. I'm I'm glad we could share some time together.
0: Yes, exactly. And uh, by the way, if folks would like to get in touch with you, uh, what's the best way to do that? You mentioned your blog, and yeah, I know you're so putting if, out a lot of ideas there. Let's get your blog uh, and your email well, and everything if you, like that.
1: If, if you go, uh, probably the very easiest way is if you go to my website, which is orselli.net. So my last name which is spelled orsell net. Then you can link to my blogs and there's lots of free articles and resources, uh, continuing the sharing theme there. Um, and you can contact me and see my projects, all that good stuff.
0: Excellent. And let's get your email address too, if people want to email you right away.
1: Yeah, that's that's also an easy one. It's my first name, Paul, P-A-U-L, at Orselli, net. So paul at net.
0: Perfect. That is easy. Okay. Well, it's just, this has been a terrific conversation. I really learned a lot. I'm sure if I did that our dear listeners did the same. So again, wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you for being here.
1: Thanks, Jonathan.
0: All right. That's it for this episode. By the way, did you know this podcast has a sister? It's a short daily newsletter every weekday under the same name, all about exhibition planning for museum leaders, exhibition teams, and visitor experience pros. You can learn more and subscribe at makingthemuseum.com. Meanwhile, I'm Jonathan Alger, and I hope you'll join me next time for Making the Museum. Bye for now.